don't worry, we're going to be showing the video this morning. I don't want you to be panicking and going, wait a minute, this isn't the normal routine. Um, but I'm going to try something a little different than usual. So I hope you'll bear with me. Um, first, I want to acknowledge um, all of you who are blessed to be called uh, uh, mothers. And um, by doing that, I'm going to uh, read just a, a few things. Things only a mom can teach. And uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that my own mother taught me these things. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when we get home. My mother taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. That never happened with me. My mother taught me logic. Because I said so, that's why. And if you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. My mother taught me about humor. When the lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. My mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. Then you'll see what it's like. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. I know some of these, you know, kind of take a little while. My mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. And finally, my mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. So... Mom, none of those were true of you because you were perfect in every way. Oh, Lord, don't hit me with that lightning bolt. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? Um, I, I, I did that because I, I wanted to kind of bring some, some levity into it and, and some... Hopefully some humor, you got to laugh at some of those things, not at the expense of moms, just trying to laugh along. But um, I also want to be sensitive to those um, who uh, are pained because of what this day um, that was decided on, on being able to honor mothers represents. And they're pained for reasons such as singleness or infertility or regret or loss or a number of other things. And so today, it's not going to be a Mother's Day message because I know of a lot of women who, they don't come to church on Sundays because it's too painful for them to hear Mother's Day messages. Um, I thought it would fit well with Proverbs, but uh, uh, I'm going to talk about another lady today. And uh, one that maybe you weren't expecting, but hopefully as we unpack today, you'll come to see very clearly. And that's going to be Lady Wisdom. And uh, I'm going to ask that you'll just be prepared to open up your Bibles and uh, to the book of Proverbs, because we're going to be spending our, our time in there. And I hope, I really hope that you, you got this sheet when you walked on in, um, because I am going to be pausing um, several times as we show the video and then stop to go back over some of the information in here. So um, that's what we're going to do. And so I'm going to go ahead and say, Devin, go ahead and start the video. The book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. 
Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. Um, I've wanted to do this throughout going through the videos that we've gone through. Um, but uh, this book seems like it was going to be the best one to, to try this out, okay? So we're going to start off right here with Solomon. And, and where did he get this wisdom? Well, looking back in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, you might remember when the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he said, ask for whatever you want, and I'll grant it to you. And because Solomon, fortunately did not want to ask for the other things that maybe you and I would ask for. Long life, good health, you know, wealth, um, some other things that we might kind of think of as like, hey, yeah, that'd be kind of great. He asked for, in verse 9 of chapter 3, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And so Solomon got his wisdom from the Lord. And I would dare to say, so do you and I. And in verse 10 through 12 in that same chapter, it says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. I'm not going to ask how many of you maybe might have uh, gone toward that one. But for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you was asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And I'm just like, wow. And so we just kind of look at that and just go, man, Lord, you're, you're incredible. And then when we jump on over to chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, it says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 30, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any man, including, and there's a list of different people, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So it's easy to kind of bypass it. Go, oh, yeah, he was a smart dude. Oh, yeah, we kind of remember reading about something like him. But, I mean, this guy was so wise in so many ways. Now, he also had his failings too. But he still was wise. When you think about uh, science, this guy was brilliant. God was able to give him the insights into so many different things, botany and entomology and zoology. And, and yet it also says that this guy was gifted uh, in, with music. And I just go, wow. He, he wrote two different psalms, Psalm 72 and one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 127. He also uh, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Next week, Pastor Stephen is going to be preaching and opening up the book of Ecclesiastes, which many believe he, Solomon wrote toward the end of his life as he was able to kind of recapture all the different experiences and things that he knew and did. You know, we can ask God for this same wisdom. James chapter 5 tells us, or chapter 1, verse 5, tells us the fact that 
If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but we can think that, oh, well, yeah, that's fine for Solomon, but me, it's like, no. That's why the book of Proverbs was put together through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can glean and we can grow in our wisdom. Now, I'm going to try to unpack some of the things that maybe we need to do to do that, but we can ask for that. We should ask God to give us wisdom to know what to do. And not just knowing what to do, but the courage to follow through with it. That's a combination. Wisdom is both the ability to discern what is best and the strength of character to act upon that knowledge. Now with that, I'm going to ask... Go ahead, Devin. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now, wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. For gaining wisdom, for gaining wisdom. If, if you uh, turn to your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses uh, seven, or 1 through 7, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline. And then it goes on. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then he goes on, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The whole goal of this book, this is setting it out before us, for gaining wisdom. And, and when, when Tim Mackey who points out, you know, chokmah, the Hebrew word that's used for that, because there's all kinds of different varied uh, words that are interspersed throughout. But this specific one is talking about a skill. Okay, a skill. And someone who has that skill, because they have knowledge, they're able to apply that knowledge and that's where they have that skill. Now, in the Old Testament, that word is, is used quite a bit in, in Exodus chapter 31. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. And then he goes on just in the next verse, the second part of verse 6, also I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. So I want you to understand here that this is talking about... Uh, I don't know, maybe when you get a picture of someone who's wise, you get a picture of somebody who just sits back and just like is waiting for people to come and ask them, oh, profound teacher, tell me what life is, 
right? And some people have all kinds of different pictures of, of what that might look like. But I love this because this gives us an illustration. That same word is used for someone who's a master craftsman. I was just, just, just now, as the service was starting, talking with Paul Ginner. And he was talking about how he went and saw uh, a, a guy who's, who's pretty old, and it doesn't matter. He is still gifted. One of the greatest guitar players ever, Dennis Agajanian. Okay? And, and this guy is just, it's not because he's older, because he's had these skills since he was very young. But what happens is he was able to take the knowledge of learning about music and learning about guitars and put that into practice. That's his skill. And then all of a sudden can make incredible music. Musicians are astounded by his abilities. And in and, and the Old Testament, we see that's people who work with wood, stone carvers, craftsmen. There's wisdom. Why? Because they took the knowledge and they're able to put it into practice. For myself, I went to junior college, um, took 24 units. That was three consecutive semesters, eight units a semester to learn air conditioning and refrigeration. I passed the class. I knew nothing about how to fix air conditioning and refrigeration. Nothing. Now, I, I may have been able to get by and pass the tests that I had to pass, but to put it into practice, there's no way. I was not a wise person if you wanted to contact somebody for air conditioning and refrigeration. My friends and family know I am mechanically challenged. And so uh, I learned that after trying to force it because I needed a job. But it's this skill that's acquired. Knowledge is the key to wisdom, but get this, it isn't wisdom. It's the key to it, but it's not wisdom. Sometimes we think of people who, um, man, they know an awful lot and we think, oh, yeah, because they know so much, they must be wise. Um, I, I, I beg to differ with you. Knowledge is good, but there's a huge difference between knowledge, and that's having the facts, and wisdom, which is applying those facts to life. Let me see if I can keep you tracking with me. Um, trivia Pursuit. Trivia Pursuit. Uh, I know people who, who man... It's like they know every single question or answer to every question in that game. They've bought the refiller packs, the refiller refiller packs, and everything else. They love Jeopardy, and they're able to just answer with all this information and all this knowledge. And, and you just kind of go, wow, that's great. What good does it do? Now, let me compare that to somebody, and some of you might not know this, but... The character MacGyver. Okay? Okay? If you know MacGyver, it used to be a show back in the 70s, and it's been kind of rebooted up again. And, and I like this new show, but, but this guy MacGyver can take his pocket knife and some duct tape, and he can make a nuclear missile. And you just kind of go, wait, how does that happen? Well, here's the thing. That's an example of someone who takes knowledge that he's learned, but he's also able to practically build things or make things that, that is needed. I think of, you know, different people within our church. I think of uh, one, I think of Steve Rockmore. Steve has come on over and, and, and he's done more electrical at, at my house and, and I know a lot of other people's houses too, but I, I don't want to say all your names because then Steve might be going, oh, man, Craig, what are you, what are you doing to me? I, I got enough people to take care of as it is. But that guy takes his knowledge and applies it with his skill. That's wisdom. That's wisdom in this biblical sense. You know, we can accumulate a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of knowledgeable people but without the ability to apply it, I think it's useless. 
And if you read throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to see that, that the author says that not only is it useless, but that describes a fool. Wisdom's the art of being successful, of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. Forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. Now, listen, I'm struggling with trying to um, uh, be healthy. And some people say, yeah, yeah, right, you, whatever. You don't look that bad. No, it's not about uh, how the outside looks. I'm not getting exercise. I talked to Ralph Fabian uh, about uh, three months ago. I said, Ralph, I'd really like to join the mug group on Wednesday nights to go bike riding because, you know, I know those guys will show a lot of grace toward me and I want to be able to do that. And yet, as soon as I said that to him, all of a sudden I forgot that track season started for my boys. And when were the meets? On Wednesday nights. Now, track season ended. Now, now, I'm either going to be a knowledgeable person, and I know I need to take steps, an action plan, to get healthy, or I'm going to be a wise person, and I'm going to start taking some steps and put that into practice. I share that illustration because I know I'm not the only one. But I also share that as far as, guess what? There's open accountability. You can feel free to ask me, how's your plan going? And you know what? I'm going to have a, a temptation to lie. Right? But I hope I can be honest. I've had uh, Michael Williams and Justin and, and, and you know, others say, hey, Craig, you can join us on Sunday morning. Oh, well, I'm preaching. See, I, I, I got really good. I'm good at making excuses. Okay, but these are guys that have offered to help. So I'm trying to say, I know what it's like for, for you to be struggling with knowledge and application. And I think this book does a great job of of helping us do that. And, and something else to unpack before we move on is the fear of the Lord. Where, where you could see on that screen, it's reverence and awe. It's not this, oh no, God's going to get me. It's a reverence for knowing, wow, God. So wake up. I love, I love today, modern day, man. Golly. Oh, that's great. But it, it's, it's having this reverence for who God is. It's honor and respect for God to live in awe of his power. So don't think of it as like, oh, cowering and hiding. It's like, oh, no, he's going to get me. No, it's a recognition. It's a recognition of who he is. And, and it's a call to obey his word. You know, um, I, I, I try not to use uh, m my kids in illustrations very often, but sometimes I do, and I, I can't help this one. So forgive me, children. But, um, you know, as a parent who's, who's had four teenagers and has two right now, um, there's a lot of things Shirley and I will ask them to do. And you know what the two words are that they say? I know. Any other parents similar to those words? Okay. I know. I know. Jerry Seinfeld. Yada, yada, yada. That, that's what yada means. I know. To know. And, and so there's times where I do a bad job of communicating to my kids. I've done it in the past, and I, I still find myself doing that now because I'm trying to help them see. No, it, it's not about the things that you need to do. It's that you need to take the time to do those now. You need to apply what you know. 
and I'm not doing a good job, or I've struggled at times of, of helping them to see that. See, I'm, my kids are smart. They're not brainiac smart. No offense. And whatever brains they do have, they got from their mother. But they're, they're, they're not the dullest knife in the drawer either. And so when I'm trying to talk to them about things that they have to do in order to be successful in different things, and they, I know, I know, don't tell me. It's, wait, I'm not trying to like repeat information. I'm trying to remind you that, okay, that information that you know about, you need to do it. And see, the Bible talks the person who does it is wise. And the person who doesn't is a fool. And I want to do the best job that I can as a father to help raise kids that will be wise, that will make wise decisions. As a pastor, I want to do the best job I can to give wise counsel instead of just whatever I feel or whatever I think of. That's why I try to make sure it's based out of God's Word, not out of my own insights or knowledge. Fear of the Lord, you know, is spoken about in Job chapter 28 that Michael Williams shared a couple weeks ago. It's also spoken about in Psalm 111 verse 10. Or in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, it says the same thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so, as I, as I go to that, and, and I, 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 where am I at? There I am. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's a pretty big deal. And I didn't want us to just pass this up while we're going through other parts of the video, because trying to come back to it would be kind of, oh, I'm not sure about that. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. I'm not going to have the time to read that to you now, but that's something maybe you want to mark and, and say, hey, I want to go back to that. I, I want to go and hit that later on. So, Devin, go ahead and uh, let's, let's see the next section of this video. This introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. And the father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people. That last line, human words about wisdom that have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people. You know, ten speeches from a father to a son. It's been 39 years since my dad passed away. And uh, still wish that I had uh, one more encounter with him. Um, so, this section of a father passing on wisdom 
and insight to his son. It just really captures me. So I just, I, I remember this, um, this thing that I copied. It's entitled Memories of My Father. And it says, at age four, my dad can do anything. At age six, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. At age eight, my father doesn't know about some things. At age 12, of course my father doesn't know. At age 14, my father is so old-fashioned that he's hopeless. At age 20, my old man is in another time zone. At age 25, my dad might know something about that. At age 35, maybe we should get dad's advice on this. At age 60, I wonder what dad would have thought about that. And at age 70, I wish that I could discuss it with dad again. And so as I look at this and I think, okay, Heavenly Father, you are speaking to me. And he's speaking to you. And he's using in this section of the first nine chapters of Proverbs, ten different speeches that a father imparts to his son. And it's things that I want to be able to impart to my sons and daughters. And I fail at, but it doesn't stop me from trying. And I hope it doesn't stop you from trying either. Go ahead, Devin. Next to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9, there are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in Lady Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, you know, um, but before this experiment, um, I was going to focus on the different passages that Lady Wisdom speaks of in chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, and in chapter 3, verses 13 through 20, and then all of chapter 8 and chapter 9, but that was so much to unpack. And then I was going to try to close it with Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. I was like, no, can't do that. But as we've unpacked this, and, and as Tim Mackey did such a great job, and their, their illustrators do such a great job of giving visual pictures, you know, come and learn from me. Wisdom keeps calling out. And, sh and, and it is used in the feminine tone. It's not like a gender neutral. It is feminine in the Hebrew. And so it says, come and learn from me. And such things like generosity. And, and also integrity, particularly as it pertains to our sexuality. And also then we look over there and upholding justice. Lady Wisdom is the one who, who can provide those things for us. And if you know, we choose to ignore her, well, we'll get to that in a second. 
But I did want to read in, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place. Now, I want you to understand something, please. I'm not suggesting that there's a fourth person of the, of the Trinity. I'm not suggesting that at all. Lady Wisdom isn't a real person, whereas God, we know, exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what God is allowing to be written about wisdom is that it was there, or in this case, she was there from the very beginning with God. Remember, God created wisdom. God is wisdom, personified. And it says, continue on, when he marked out the horizon of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. That's just one little description that wisdom says about herself. And then we get to chapter 9, and she continues on, and she gives invitations to receive wisdom, and she also gives warnings about the other woman, the woman of folly. Verse 13 says, The woman of folly is loud, she is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple, simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. So there's Lady Wisdom. And there's the woman of folly. I think each and every one of us said, man, I, I, want, I want to hang with Lady Wisdom. Because she's got my best interest at heart. But how often we subject ourselves and fall to the prey of the woman of folly. And I like how he said, Proverbs is not good advice. So just get that out of your head right now. It's not good advice. That's not what it's intended for. It's intended, it's God's invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. Experience says a lot. But some people have experience, but they're just like, they're dense. That's just as somebody, just, just as bad as somebody who's got a whole lot of insights, but um, they don't know how to, how to go about it with a plan. So next, continue on. The next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. 
or train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life, and raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all okay. So every topic you can think of, the book of Proverbs is kind of difficult to read because we want it to read chronologically, or we want it to read in this kind of uh, flow, linear flow. But it goes in and out of some of these different topics. There are hundreds of topics that are found in the book of Proverbs. Some of them have contrasts. If you do this, then that. Some of them are, are, are just, there's all kinds of descriptions and jumping around in different chapters on different topics. So if you really want to dig into something, man, pick a topic and then look and find how that is described in the book of Proverbs. And it's not, again, just wise advice. It's God's invitation to learn, okay, here's, here's how you can experience life to the fullest. And, and it's just a, a great, great opportunity for us to be able to hit on, on anything you can think of. Fear of God and wisdom, you know, and there's that line, that, that then it goes, it, things will go great. I love how they can simplify some things. Proverbs equals probabilities. That's a probability. But they come right back and say, but it's not a promise. Don't confuse that because I've had people in my life before say, well, God's word says this, so I'm clinging to this, and that's what's going to happen. It's like, no. No, it's not. It has a, a probability of happening, but it doesn't have a guarantee there's no guarantees that that, that is going to happen. And no fear of God and foolishness thing, means that things will go poorly. Well, we'd like to think that, if we're being honest, right? For our enemies, for, for that person at work, for, you know, that crook. It's like, yeah, they don't fear God and they're fools. And so, yeah, I want things to go absolutely the worst for them. It's not a guarantee either. Think of some of the examples. Um, it definitely wasn't true of Job. It wasn't true of Joseph because God had bigger plans. It, they didn't fit this mold. They didn't fit that equation because there's no guarantees. Proverbs focus on the general rule, not exceptions. And when Tim says, life is too complex for formulas, listen, when I was in seminary, I can't tell you how many guys in seminary think they have God figured out. They, they do. And they can fit God in their box, and it's just like, yeah, I figured that one out. Okay, I can move on to my next problem or question about, yeah, I got them figured out. Okay. And by the time they're done, they feel like, yep, I've got God right here. Ask me any question. And, and I respect the discipline it took for them to acquire their degree. But I have serious concerns about looking at them as a wise person. Anybody who thinks that they have God figured out? Kind of like how I talked about earlier about, I hope the lightning bolt doesn't hit me for lying about some of the things I said, you know, uh, uh, earlier. 
um, I, I feel sorry for not just those men and women, but for their congregations as well. Let's go on to the next one. Devin. All leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem's about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom, and so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. Chapter 30, Agor who's a model for us, you and I, because he doesn't think that he is worthy of being able to learn anything, but because he's a reader and a studier, he is showing that, yeah, we can acquire wisdom. If any of you think that you have tapped your potential already on wisdom, I just want you to let you know, you are so far from understanding what wisdom is. We're never too old to continue to inquire and study and learn and share what God is teaching us. It should be on a regular basis. But I fall prey just like many of you, kind of thinking, hey, I'm, I'm kind of satisfied. <laughs> I'm pretty good. And it's like, no, no. That's a description of a fool. And I don't want to be that, and I know you don't want to be that either. A woman of noble character. In, in, in verse 26 through 31, it says, She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat bread or of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised." I'll read that again. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who has reverence and awe of the Lord, whether she's single or married, divorced or widowed, is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise to the city gates. You know, he closes it off by putting that statement, a guide for living well in God's world. It's for youth. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 4. It's for adults in verse 5. It also is talking about the wise. So even the wise are referred to, hey, mate, keep growing. You haven't come to the end yet. It's for leaders. These last two chapters were written by leaders. Most of the rest of Proverbs was written by the king, a leader. Other leaders came to him to find out his wisdom on things and insights on things. We all fit one of those. And if you think you don't, then I just want to remind you and, and close with this. In Luke chapter 2, we read this about Jesus. In verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And you're thinking, oh, well, yeah, that's great. That's Jesus. He's, he's all-knowing and all-wise. He's, he's God. Yes, he's 100% God, and yes, he's 100% man. But look what it says down in verse 52. 
And Jesus grew in wisdom. Huh. And stature. Huh. And in favor with God and man. Huh. Hope it makes you think. Jesus was never settled. Jesus was still growing. Now, I know it's hard for us to, to, to fathom, but don't get caught up in how hard that is. Just recognize that God's Word describes how Jesus grew. In the same way He grew physically, He grew with wisdom. So men and women, shouldn't we be trying to do the same? If you found yourself in a rut, listen, the only thing I can do is say, you, you got to get out of it. Get some accountability. Have someone ask you how your prayer life is. And be praying. Or be honest enough to say, man, it's still not going. Okay, I'm going to keep praying for that. What can I do to help you? Have someone ask you, you know, what are you reading right now? I'm reading a great book. Talk about in the Bible. Oh. Get accountability. Start taking steps. I've asked you to hold me accountable with physically. And I know I'm going to be disappointing myself and others when I have to be honest with, oh, no, I didn't do that. But I'm going to keep trying. And I'm going to ask you, it, it's not about doing these things just so we can do them and check off a list. Okay, I did what Pastor Craig said. Huh? No, it's so that we can grow in wisdom. So that we can be more like Christ. So that we can learn all that we can and experience this abundant life instead of being Christians who are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Eeyore. No, I want to be a tigger. I want to be bouncing all over the place. I don't care if you make fun of me. And I think we just need to kind of get a, just get out of this um, mindset that I've got to be all under control. I've got to just be, hmm, because that's a picture of a wise person. picture of a wise person is right here in Proverbs. So let's take the time to read it and study it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for oh, the challenges that we have from it. And I pray that, uh, Lord, that this isn't a, a pep talk. Lord, I, I pray this isn't something that people can just do so uh, it's uh, on their checkoff list. But Lord, I pray that it's, it's a combination of us learning what you desire and then us having the discipline and, and, and the skill to put it into practice. And if we don't know how, Lord, I pray that we can go to people who do, who can help us in the spiritual area of our life. So, thank you for this challenge. And may it not just be a challenge that just ends here, but may it be the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.